the great Jim Rohn famously said a few simple disciplines repeated every single day will lead to all of the success that you could ever want. And on that note, this is part two or three with Brad Sugars. And it's all about ownership, internal drive, external drive, commitment, and the all-important trait, discipline. Let's do this. Okay, Brad, let's talk about discipline. What is it and why is it so important? I mean, there's a million definitions for discipline. Doing what you need to do when you need to do it. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But ultimately, discipline, it's kind of a fallacy. Self-discipline is a fallacy. So discipline from external, having a coach, it's one of the reasons coaching works. Right is that you can discipline someone else. You can hold someone else accountable. So if you, you, if you try and combine the word accountable and discipline, you start to see a, a level of what discipline is always about. And so when we look at above and below the point with what we teach at Action Coach, where below is the, the blame, excuse, denial, above is the responsible, accountable ownership. So until there is ownership, it's very hard to have discipline. Okay, so once we give away our power... It, give away the discipline so let's try and use an example of that me as a business coach i can coach someone and discipline them around doing the things they need to do a business owner that still acts like an employee won't discipline themselves and and there's no self-discipline there's no self-drive there's no self-start so again you got to add to the word discipline the drive and the start Uh so that starts to compound the effect of this whole thing called discipline. When me as a, as a business owner, I get coached from other coaches or my coaches, they can discipline me sort of thing. So it's a real interesting word in that people say, you know, I am disciplined. Well, you, you, you kind of need an external influence to be able to be disciplined. And even if that external influence is attending a course or attending a thing or or being part of a mastermind group, or doing something where you have to report your results. Because for there to be discipline, there needs to be accountability. Accountability comes with the word count. So what results are you reporting? Therefore, there's discipline. And that's why, you know, um, things like this, an Apple Watch, keeps me disciplined mm-hmm. to get up every hour for 12 hours of the day and walk around for a little bit type thing. It's that external influence that helps provide that discipline. Self-discipline is an interesting challenge for a lot of people. And there's very few David Goggins in this world that can, you know, sit there and say, I'm, I'm at this level of self-discipline. Let's go with him. Let's go with David Goggins, you know, mm-hmm. the callous of the mind, right? You know, going through the pain. Let's go with him as that top. This is the top level of discipline. Mm-hmm. What do you, where do you think the average level of discipline is in business? Jeez, oh, that's, that's like a depressing question. Um, the average level of discipline in business, I'll tell you where it is, pay the bills. I won't give it a score. I'll say the average level of discipline is if I can make wages, if I can pay salaries this week, that's the level of discipline I need. Most human beings do enough to get by, not enough to do massive success. See, in business, one of the big advantages a big business has over a small business is that they have a board of directors and shareholders type thing. And so those shareholders demand growth, demand profitability. The board of directors demand success. 
And so there's that outside discipline, again, from, from that perspective. When we look at most business owners, they start out with these big dreams and goals and they want to, you know, they, they go into business themselves because they want to have that freedom, time freedom, personal freedom, decision freedom, whatever the freedom is. But then they end up gradually over time being degraded to pay the bills. You know, something you said to me, you've triggered a number of thoughts so far. It's something you said to me a number of years back. You said, nice work, James. Keep demanding that level of achievement from yourself mm. and you'll keep demanding that of the people around you. Mm -hmm. That was a number of years back. So you, you just use that word again, demand. Mm. You, and is that linked to ownership, what you said earlier on? Is that part of ownership, demanding stuff of yourself? Well, until a business owner takes ownership, you know, there, there's, there's a difference between when you start your own business and when you take ownership of your own business. Go on. Um, the level of, okay, let me take it two steps backwards. When you go into business for yourself, you've taken charge, okay? You haven't taken ownership yet. You've taken charge. You're willing to do what it takes to, and you want to be paid what you're worth rather than what you can sell in time for money. Like I was sitting with my daughter a couple of days ago and she's talking about her future in business. She said, you know, wouldn't mind going into graphic design. I said, that'd be great, except all you do is sell time for money. Yeah, it's a bigger amount of money per hour, but it's still time for money. You know, you need to go into business selling something that you can sell and no matter how much time you put in, you can make an infinite amount of money type thing. So when you go into business at the beginning, you've taken charge of your financial situation. doesn't mean you've taken ownership. Now, I always talk about the difference between being a business person and being a business owner. Once you've stepped up to that level of owner, meaning you're willing to allow other people to do the work, you're willing to manage, you're willing to lead. See, I'm the chairman of my companies, which puts me in an ownership situation. I'm not the CEO of my companies that puts me in an operational situation. The operational situation doesn't, doesn't need ownership. It needs accountability. So to move up to that level of ownership, you need to move to a point where you've appointed someone to run the business for you. And that's where you're disciplining them to do it for you. I joke in seminars, but it's a real truth that if I owned most people's businesses, they would be fired the next day as CEO because no one, they don't perform. You know, if you're, the, if you're the owner and the CEO or the MD or the GM, whatever terminology you want to use, if you're the owner and the CEO, you're doing a shitty job at both. You can't do a good job as owner and CEO because you lie to yourself. Oh, I did a great job. Yes, you did. Oh, I'm amazing. Yes, you are. No, you, you're completely just making up stuff. You know, if I was even the chairman or if I had 20% of their company and they had to report to me, I remember interviewing Lord Sugar about this exact question. Like when he puts people on the apprenticeship, we have the board meetings. The first thing they do is they report into us the numbers. And we ask them, why did you hit the numbers or why did you go above the numbers? Why did you go below the numbers? You know, it's like just having that person to report to every month makes you perform at a much higher level. So uh, I, I think that's one of the main differences with ownership is stepping up to a point where you are actually the owner, not just the CEO or the operational person. You've mentioned internal, external influences, a lot of external here. I mean, can you have discipline without an external influence? Oh, yeah. yeah you just kind of have a high level of it. You just can't have a massive level. Can you achieve your potential without it? No. No, it's not possible to achieve your, temp, uh, your potential without a CEO. Sorry, it's not possible to achieve your ultimate potential without a coach, 
without an external format of discipline. It's yeah. not possible. You just cannot possibly do it. I love working out. I love, I love doing it. I work out. But when I go to a class and, and there's a measure on yeah. my wrist and there's a thing up on the board that tells me what my calorie burn is yeah. and I'm looking at that number going, it's not a thousand in an hour. I need to work harder. I need to work harder. And, and so that measurement is a big part of discipline. That, that external factor is a big part of discipline. And so I, I, I think that we, we miss a lot of that factor. But if you want to achieve your ultimate potential, see... I want to go back to a term that I've been using a lot lately. It's called foregone conclusion. And what I mean by that is that if you want to, have, if your goal is A, then you go for A plus 20 so that A is a foregone conclusion. I first learned this, well, I first saw a real example of this. A friend of mine had just moved into the PGA Tour. And our kids went to school together and uh, he stepped up from the nationwide where he was winning these tournaments and he was struggling in the PGA, and, and I sat down with him. Uh, I think it was Christmas time, and he was on a break, and, and the kids were hanging together. And so I asked him the question, well, what's your goal each week when you go into the PGA tournament? He said, I just want to make the cut. And that's the same as the business owner that I just want to pay the bills, or the same as the fat person that just says, I don't want to get any fatter. You know, it's like there's, there's that just want type thing. I said to him, well, that's stupid. Your goal doesn't... You need to have a goal of winning the tournament and therefore making the cut is a foregone conclusion. It's like when people go into sales. Yeah, you need to plan their purchases for the next year so that the first purchase is a foregone conclusion type thing. You know, it's, it's a crazy world we live in where people try to do just rather than go there. You know, the old uh, statement of if you reach for the stars, at least you'll hit the moon. And that's why... You know, I wrote the book Billionaire in Training, and if you shoot for billionaire and you only get a hundred million, you're okay. You know, <laughs> you're more than okay, but Probably, you know what I mean. Even if you get twenty million, I mean, yes. Million, I mean, but if you go for it's, uh, there was a, a saying that uh, one of my f I, I like a lot of sort of crime and and military type shows, and uh, one of them that uh, is is all about the American military, and there's a guy in there in a, a particular situation in a SEAL team where he says two is one and one is none. He carries two of everything because two is one and one is none. Because if you've got one and it fails, you're done. Two parachutes is one, one is none type thing. And so a lot of people don't have that attitude of two is one and one is none. And so they don't perform at a decent level. They go for enough. And that's the old glass ceiling thought or your goal is also your, your you know, biggest limitation, all of those sorts of things. Quite like that analogy, two is one and one is none. I mean, that's like... We're it's like someone having a coach, really, isn't it? Because the coach is on the outside. It's still the two of you together. Is one, you're still the person that's going and doing it and leading it. Let's uh, let's talk about something I learned from you as well. I did a little bit of research before this and thought, oh, we're talking about discipline. And I like this concept of a cheat day. Mm -hmm. So just talk to us about cheat days and why that's important in discipline. Okay, so there's two formats of thinking on that. One is that you stay in this 100% stuck on it type thing, like, you know, the 300 diet in the, yeah. the movie, the 300, and, and all of those things where it's like you just stay, 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 and do the whole thing. The reality of my experience when coaching people to success is that if I push them at that level 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're going to burn out. And the burnout is 
three, six months, you know, of picking them back up and getting them back on track and getting them moving. So you're better off to grow plateau, grow plateau, grow plateau type thing. And it might not be a cheat day. It might be a cheat week. Like I might coach a business owner for, you know, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and then go, all right, off you go. Caribbean for the week. Goodbye. You know, just take that time out and decompress. And I think not enough people do the decompression. Um, Carvey wrote about it in, in Seven Habits, Sharpen the Saw. You've got to have time to decompress, rebuild, come back, whether that's meditation, vacation, reading a book, doing something. But it's like even, there's times when stop reading a book and go to a concert, dude. You know, just don't be on 100% of the time because you will blow yourself out. You know, a car engine doesn't run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You want a Formula One race car to perform? It's not going to perform for more than that many hours. Yeah. A great football player, a great golfer, yeah. you know, any they've got a specific amount of time they can perform for and then they take a time out. Even in sales. I know for me as a sales guy, I would be 40 minutes on, 20 minutes off. Because if I tried to stay on for five hours of the day, I'm burned by the end of that thing. You know, do my, do my 40, take 20. Go and do other things. Get your head together and come back. Take a lunch break. Actually go do that stuff. Sharpen the saw. When you first, when you first shared that with me, what I got from that was permission. It, hmm. was, it was... Well, if you look at your sporting background... <laughs> Your coaches were, keep going, keep going, keep going. You know, um, I think performance has to be looked at in a different way from that. You know, when I, when I was on the, you know, when Jake and them, we did that high performance podcast yeah. type thing, and they talked about high performance and that sort of thing. There's a lot of formulas for performance, but there's no formula for 24 hours a day, seven days a week sort of thing. You know, there is no formula. There's a, there is a formula in sport, right? They apply this to physical, but this can be applied to mental as well. See what you think of this one. It's, it's called progressive overload. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you stress the system. You do your 40 mm -hmm. minutes sales calls. Yeah, You stress the system. This is how they, they, they word it in the sports coaching. Then you must have recovery. So almost like comfort zone, yep. doing nothing. Um, and it's only during recovery that adaptation happens. You can only you want to get fitter. You don't get fit by running. You get fitter by the recovery process after running. Well, you can't learn the lesson while you're reading the book. You can't learn the lesson while you're in the moment. You have to go and do the review. Like if we go back to sales again, you record your sales and you come back to it afterwards type thing. You know, in the coaching moment is when you learn the lesson, not while you're actually doing it in business. If I'm in business doing something... And then at the end of the week, I talk about it with my coach. I see the lesson. I start to, to get that sort of thing. So um, do we learn by doing? 100% we learn by doing. We learn by everything. If, we, if, you're a, if you're a learner, you learn by every single thing. If you're not a learner, you learn by nothing. So Interesting that. You know, you've got so to be a learner. What, what are you? Are you a learner or are you not a learner? Because you know, I, mean, I, like I like that phrase. You, you can't teach your kids to ride a bike at a seminar. So you read a book, you don't, you're not learning how to grow your business yet, you've got to go and apply the learnings and that's when the, the learning really happens. When you hire that first team member, you realize whether you're any good at leadership or not. You know, when you uh, confront... What if having, you're not? Or if you're not, yeah. It, but, you know, what next? Well, you got to learn. you got to study. I mean, we're not... 
the whole fallacy of you're born something. You may be born with a tendency to something. You may be born with a like of something. You may be born with a desire towards something, but you've still got to get the skill. Kobe Bryant practiced more than any other basketball player out there. You know, he didn't, yes, he had a natural tendency, but he still had to practice harder than all the others put together. I mean, you don't get there by doing it. I mean, I, I had a tendency to be a good entrepreneur, but if I hadn't read thousands of books on the subject, there's no way I was getting where I'm got. So, well, I, I think that everything is, you set a goal so that you know what to learn. You don't set a goal to achieve the goal. You set a goal so you know what to learn, so you can write the plan, so then you can do the stuff to achieve the goal. The goal in and of itself is just a guidepost for what to learn. I still, uh, I tell the story of when I was a kid stating that I would retire at age 25 after Mr. Roan, I, I did a seminar with Mr. Roan at 16 and said, I'm going to retire by 25. And my friend's dad told us how that can't happen, won't happen, it's not possible. And technically, he was correct. 16-year-old version of me couldn't make that a reality. But 25-year-old version of me, actually 26, the 26-year-old took me one year longer version of me. It's amazing what you can accomplish in 10 years. You know, Overestimate one, underestimate 10, that whole saying. But that version of me could do that. Where are you with this thing? Because there's some research that's out there. Apparently the average person has got anywhere between 40 and 60 different things that they're focusing on or bits of information that process at any given point. Yet, in order to be really successful, we should have no, a range between two and six core areas of focuses that, we, that we're working on. What are, what's your opinion on that? Dang, that's an interesting question. Uh, not really contemplated that question before. Uh, I would love a day where I was contemplating less than the 200, 300 things. Um, you see, that's what, that's I, what I, have, I got when I have, you said cheat days. I have nine to 11. I have, I have 11 companies that I run, nine that I'm on the board of. The other two I'm just an advisor to because I'm a shareholder of. Uh, I have five kids, my wife, our charity, uh, however many direct reports I doubt there's a day where I'm not thinking of 200, 300 things. Um, that being said, I wouldn't want my staff to be in that mode if no. I wanted them to achieve in their singular position. So my job as chairman is to think. That's my job. My job is to think about five to seven years down the road. And that's why sometimes as chairman... Uh, it's hard to relate to some members of your team because they're looking at today and they're like this week and I'm like way off down the road here sort of thing, thinking about where we're going to be in five, seven years' time. Um, even philosophically, even writing my books, the, the books are you know, trying to translate what's happening in the market now into something that someone can take as a lesson type thing. So my job is a thinker. So maybe I'm different in that I'm supposed to have hundreds of thoughts going around in my head and maybe the standard... You do strike me as incredibly decisive though, Brad. Every time I speak with you, you, you process something, you, you, you say what yep. side of the fence you're on. But I also, and you will have seen me do this in meetings, where I'll say, yep, give me 24 hours on that. Sometimes I just want to let stuff sit in my head for 24 hours and come back with a thought on it, even... 
once a year, I do a, a thing where I invite 10 business owners in to help them create a multi-billion dollar business plan for their business. And I interview them three and six months beforehand and ask them all the questions. And in the two months leading up to it, they're like, do you want to talk to us again? No, nope. no, it's in my head. That's fine. And so as a thinker, that's possibly the thing. At the conference that you spoke at with Richard Branson, at the dinner afterwards, mm-hmm. Richard Branson, he taught me two things. He says, these are my two roles in my 469 businesses or however many he's got. These are my two roles. One is helping create the strategy and the vision. Mm-hmm. And two is firefighting. Now, and I'm combining that, that two areas of focus, if you like, with your cheat day concept because that's what I got from the cheat day. It's like, over time, things build up. You start thinking more. All of a sudden, you start doing more. You take a cheat day and you clear it up. It's like your desk's a bit of a mess. Take a day, get it all cleared up. Just clear it down and get your focus mm-hmm. back. Yeah, me and Richard might differ on that one. Um, firefighting. I, I like grenade throwing more as chairman. Yeah, um, I've seen that a few times. Yeah, I, I'm, as chairman, I like the idea that my job once a month is come in, ask the tough questions, ask, a, you know, my CFO goes through all the finances and asks them all the, the financial questions. My job is to ask the, the tough questions and the things they're not thinking about. So that's the thing, being an outsider, you look at it and you can see what are they not seeing that they're doing. Yeah, they're seeing these things, but they're not seeing that. And if you ask, uh, I was on a board meeting with my commercial cleaning business the other day and they, and uh, the two partners who run the business were both sitting there going, dude, you've done it again. And it, it's like, but it, it's like, but hang on, you, you're not seeing this because you're, you're in it, I guess. It's forest for the trees scenario. Um, so maybe... I'm not so much a firefighter. There are certain people in business that need there to be uh, chaos in order for them to feel needed and wanted. I'm I'm not really that person. I like my business to be fairly boring. Is that ego? Oh, I made a lot of things at ego. I'm not sure what I could say, uh, whether it's, it's for others. Um, I mean, you've, to be successful, you've got to have a level of ego. You, you just have to. There's no... You know, there's, I don't see anyone who's succeeding that doesn't have some level of desire for acknowledgement and, well, apparently and all that sort of stuff. We've all got two needs. They need to be understood and they need to be admired, which is recognition. So we've all got that as human beings. Maslow studied a lot more than you and me did, yeah, so, you know, and he came to a few conclusions. So uh, it's on that hierarchy, of course. If, if we sit down and we start thinking about the goal for me as a chairman, if, or if I tell you what my goal is as a chairman, my goal is to make sure that the team is performing at a level over and above what they think they can perform and to make sure I keep on the lookout of the future as to where might the roadblocks be or where might the, the things be. And, and the other is just the consistent removal of excuses. So, What's the, what's the secret to that? The consistent removal of excuses. Well, anytime you hear an excuse, just remove it. Okay, my excuse is, well, you know, the supplier doesn't get that to us on time. Great, let's fix that. Okay, that, that's gone. Once you removed all the excuses, a person has no choice but to understand it's about them. They have, they have no choice. Everything else, all, yep, all your excuses are gone. Everyone you can blame is gone. Excellent. Up to you now. You know, that's why um, sometimes being in a team is a hard thing. Sometimes being in a team where you see another person performing at a level much higher than you and 
you're over here not performing at the same as they are. And you go, but hang on, we've got the same skill set, the same this, or even sometimes, and I, I know I've sat there in certain meetings in certain, certain things going, okay, I'm not hitting the same numbers as that person, but I'm a lot smarter than that person, or, or yeah. I think I'm a lot yeah. smarter than that person. Our ability to overestimate we, our, our we intellect. All think that way surely i mean i think everyone thinks they're a better driver than they actually are so you know and uh i think golf's golf's that one that makes you realize that you're not as good as you are it is a a a definite leveler yeah yeah all right let's talk about habits and discipline what's the link Mm -hmm. what's the link between habits and discipline um i'll i'll throw a different word in i'll throw in the word rituals um habits it's kind of like you give up power when you call something a habit. Oh, it's just a habit I have. You know, um, it's like when people do those. Uh, an excuse sometimes. Like it can, a bad be, habit, yeah. can be. Can be. It's like when people do uh, personality profiles. Oh, that's just who I am. You know, and it's not. That's You found out who you are so you can grow and change. You didn't find out who you are so you could use it as an excuse for the rest of your life. I like rituals because it comes with a connotation that you have proactively chosen that thing you've proactively decided that this is what i'm going to do on a day-to-day basis i know uh james clear's book on habits is is very strong but i personally like the idea of it being proactive and a choice Um, and that's why i use the word rituals and even jokingly spell it r-i-c-h-u-a-l-s help you become rich yeah in every sense of the word well you know people have it's funny james because the number of times when you talk about someone being rich and then someone says, oh, yeah, and, you, and, and health is richness too and, and all of that. No, 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 look, just be okay with being financially rich, okay? Be okay with that, uh, especially here in the UK where, you know, and uh, I hear these statements of you don't want to talk about money at the dinner table. Yes, you do. If you don't talk about money with your kids at the dinner table, who's going to teach them money? Their school teacher? No, you don't want your school teacher teaching your kids money. I'm sure they're lovely people, but... I doubt they're financially free. So you better teach your kids money at the, at the thing. So, yes, being rich in all senses of the word, if that's what we want to say. Look, I'm going to bring you back for another podcast on exactly that subject. So let's just stick on habits, disciplines. So what are some of the best habits and or disciplines or rituals for managers? For managers? Yeah. Um, Make your people write a list of what they're going to do every day at the end of the day so that the next day when they come into work, they don't have to make a list. The list is already there. It's in their head. It's been sitting in their head for 12, 14 hours overnight. They walk in, they get started on their list because the list is sitting on their desk. I, I have my, in, in our management system, our people take a photograph. They handwrite it every day. Yeah. They take a photograph of it and they uh, put it in the WhatsApp group chat for that uh, team or division of the company so that everybody can get to see what they're doing if they should want to. Um, and it just it's a level of accountability and discipline right there. That's, that's a simple thing. You know, management is about two things. Management is about productivity and about capability, okay? Can the person do the job and can they do it productively? Okay, I see too much management by abdication. They throw them in the deep end. They don't train them, coach them, mentor them. They don't educate them. Oh, I don't want to be a micromanager. Listen, you need to be a micromanager. This is a baby employee. You have to micromanage a baby employee. They're the ways they die. You know, people get a brand new employee and they don't have them report in every day what they're doing. I don't care how long someone's been with me. They report in every day. 
They report in every day. Now, I might not look at it for a month, but the fact that they have to send it to me makes them sit down and write, what have I got to get done tomorrow? And just that discipline alone increases their productivity. Uh, we also every week have a meeting without uh, your direct reports. I hate the whole management habit of my door is always open. I think that's the dumbest, stupidest thing. I'm not sure who invented that. But you know, when management became a dirty word somewhere in the 90s, I'm guessing, and, and you know, you, you want to be a leader, not a manager. And uh, what's that guy wrote the book Maverick and it was all like a flat organization. That's what you want. You want a flat organization. No, you don't. That's the dumbest thing ever. The military is never run by a flat organization for years and years, and theirs is the most stressful job in the world. It's called life and death for real. You, know, you want to manage a, a group of somewhere between six and eight direct reports. Any less than six, you shouldn't be being paid as a manager. Any more than eight, and you're going to spend most of your time managing and very little of your time doing your actual job. Um, you know, if you're the marketing manager... That doesn't mean all you do is manage all of the people in marketing. You should be the smartest marketer in the room. So 80% of your job should be you creating the amazing marketing stuff because you're the best at marketing on that team. If you're a sales manager, you shouldn't be managing just salespeople. The top 20% of leads should come to you. You're the sales manager. You should be closing the best of the best leads. You're the managing partner at a law firm. You should be working the $5,000 an hour cases. You know what I mean? It's like we, they stop doing their own work and all they do is manage and they wonder why there's no performance in the thing. Is that common? It happens all the time. I get promoted to manager. I stop doing any work. Is that because of comfort? No, I think it's just the perception of what a manager should be. Right. I think... Um, you know, let's go back to the old joke around when do you stop doing the thing? If your company became successful because you're the best engineer in the world, then you shouldn't be CEO of the company. You should be the best engineer in the world and appoint someone to be CEO of your company. Don't try and learn a new skill after you've mastered this skill to the point of being the best in the world at it. That'd be like Rafa Nadal saying, hey, Nadal Enterprises is now massive. I need to go and be CEO and let's hire some kid to play the tennis. It's just dumb when you look at it from that perspective. But a lot of business owners do it. They think because I'm the owner, I got to be the CEO. The best things I've ever done in my companies is appoint a CEO to run it for me while I go off and be the speaker and create new ideas and new programs and new products and new books. Like if, if, if I was to be the CEO, I don't think I would do a great job at it. I'm glad you brought up the whole micromanagement piece. A couple of years ago, I was trying to develop myself in management, etc. I was reading a lot of books. And one, two of the biggest things I got from this around, and I applied this to micromanagement, which were the purposes of micromanagement. Number one is to instill discipline. Micromanagement mm -hmm. is there to instill discipline, which is a positive thing, yeah? yep. which tells us that discipline needs instilling. Number two, interestingly, was to catch them doing it good. For cheerleading. Yeah, the old well-done philosophy. And, 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 you know, from now on, that's they're the only two guiding purposes of micromanagement, you know, from, from my learnings there. What's your opinion on instilling discipline? Yeah, again, productivity. So that's why I always say management about productivity and competency. If they can't, if, if I go into a business, let's say I buy a business and I'm looking at a lack of competency in the employees, I know that's just a lack of management. 
Tra- there's, training? There's, well, coaching. It, it might be training. Training is sometimes not the best way to get competency in employees. Sometimes the best way is coaching. Sometimes the best way is mentoring. Sometimes the best way is to actually go do it with them 20 times so that they actually get it type thing. You know, the old master-apprentice philosophy. Um, there's many ways to build competency, Okay. But then the productivity side of it, yes, the discipline, and that comes back to the measures. You cannot manage what you do not measure. It's, it, a lot of these sayings become old sayings because they work. They're smart. It's always been that way. If I want to improve, why do sporting teams measure st- statistics of every single player all the time? Well, it's accountability as they well. They want to get better. It? Yeah. You see, when I come back to that word instill, I'm always thinking repetition. You know, like you get your daily, this is my to achieve list for tomorrow, boss, or whatever they send you. You know, this is my t- top six things. That's um, that's a repetition. Oh, yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's look at it for leaders then. So that's the habits for a manager. What about the habits for a leader or discipline? Um, two thank yous or two congratulations a day. Uh, I just love that. Always talk about the vision. You are a guardian of the culture. So always discuss, look at, show the culture of the organization. Always be discussing vision, mission, culture. Who we are and why we do what we do are the two uh, big for leaders. Leaders' two biggest jobs are passion and focus. That is the two jobs of a leader. Make sure people are passionate about what we're doing, where we're going, who we are and why we're doing it. Number two, give people the focus. Give them clear concise goals so they know where we're going and why we're going there. That's the leader's job is they've got to make sure of that. I think one of the big things for both managers and leaders is either, and, and I have to go one of two ways with this with most leaders, either get out of your office and go and look at what's happening out there in the world. Okay, uh, I, I remember coaching a guy that ran a construction business. His dad built it. He took it over, bought it from his dad, still building it even bigger. And I said, how many job sites you visit this month? He said, none. I said, good. From now on, you visit two job sites a week. Every week, you visit two job sites a week. One of the interesting pieces of feedback we got from all of his team is that he doesn't know what's going on in the organization. When we did his Leadership 360, they're all like, yeah, he sits in his ivory tower and that sort of thing. So six months later, we do the Leadership 360. Oh, yeah, he's one of the guys. Because he literally took it upon himself. He'd pick up donuts and cans of soda, and every time he visited a job site, he'd have enough for every single guy on site, to, a person on site, to get a donut and a can of soda sort of thing. And he'd just wander the site and ask them what's going on. All of a sudden, he, he learned about it. Now, some, I have to go the other way. Stop visiting your job site every single day, 24 hours a day. I remember working with the owner of a restaurant who was literally always out on the floor, always talking with the customers. And, and it, to a point where the customers are like, I wish this guy would get the, out of my face because he's annoying people sort of thing. It's like you need to go to your office more often and actually do work on the business, develop systems, develop training, develop programs to work on it. Stop being out on the floor all the time. All you're doing is getting in the way of your waiters because I could see him taking a drink order. Then the waiter would come over and ask, oh, no, it just took it. And it'd be like, what? You know, so you got to balance that up, I think. But yeah, passion and focus is leader's job. Uh, manager's job is making sure that there is uh, capability and productivity. When you when you draw it down into two words, it is actually so empowering, isn't it? And it is so easy to see how you can sort of cross merge the two and just 
it's not very tidy anymore. You know, stick in your lane with those two things. Got some quick questions for you here. I don't know if I've got quick answers, but all right, let's well, try. let's see. <laughs> let's see. Uh, what is the best book you have ever read in your life? Other than mine? Uh, no. Uh, best book I've ever read for business would be a dual book. It was, uh, so it was two books in one, My Life in Advertising and Scientific Advertising, written in the 1920s. Um, just I the are, fundamental core of what is marketing and advertising. So many of the, great, the greatest books of all time are 1920s and 1930s. You know, it's because that's when business started to evolve. You've got to remember back in the 1920s and 30s is when we started to move into cities and when cities started to evolve and when food production went to a point where you could can things and, you know, the, the invention of the ability for a city to survive where meats could come in and you didn't have... And, and you know, then eventually we got to refrigeration and freezers and all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, the invention of a lot of foods led to the invention of a lot of other things. But also... Mass marketing started back then when TV, well, sorry, when uh, newspapers started and radio started, and that's when mass marketing started. So, beautiful. What's your favorite movie? Oh, my wife's gonna you, hate you. That you, I love, say this. you love movies, yeah. Roadhouse Patrick Swayze. Roadhouse Patrick, Roadhouse Swayze, Patrick Swayze, and they're remaking it. I hope they don't kill it. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm sure you'll watch it. They remade Baywatch as well, didn't they? My kids have just been watching that. I see. Favorite music. Country music, American country. Is that why you've got your cowboy boots on? Always wearing boots. I've worn boots most of my life. Australians, we buy a pair of boots called RM Williams when we're young and you wear them for your entire life, basically. They, they, they last that long. Beautiful. Favourite holiday destination? Uh, different for different things. Um, beach, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, or Punta Mita, just uh, a little north of uh, Puerto Vallarta. Uh, with my wife... Paris, France, uh, just the two of us sort of thing. So. Love the little accent that you gave there and, you know, you did it in the local dialect. I, uh, yeah, we, I'll be in Punta Mita in two weeks' time with the family for two weeks, so. Yeah, you love your holidays. Well, why work hard if you don't have the time to go and take time to enjoy yourself? But also, you need vacation time so your brain can have freedom from the work stuff. You it's don't do emails, you, you turn off the digital, you just go and think. Uh, and you see new things when you travel. Early bird or night owl? Both. When? Always. You know, I, it's, it's, people joke that nine to five is, is where you go to work. Well, five to nine and five to nine is where you make your money. Five to nine and five. Ooh, I love that. I love that. You and Dolly Parton should like hook up for something. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> but you, right, so you enjoy You pay life. the bills between nine and five in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Five till nine in the morning, I used to do, that's sort of writing time, that sort of thing, creative, all that sort of stuff. And five to nine in the evenings is where I used to do events and seminars and stuff. So, you know, that's, that's where the wealth was built. If you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? I wouldn't. You wouldn't choose anyone else? No, I'd love to meet some other people, but I wouldn't want to be anyone no, else. No, but if I had to say, look, you've got, you've got it there. I have Can to we, do this. Yeah, you have to do this. You have to do this. Who would you choose? And it could be someone who's no longer with us. See, there's, there's no one... I, 
Maybe maybe uh, I would choose Rupert Murdoch back sort of 20 years ago. Why, why choose him? Interesting. Just because of the deals he was putting together and the way he structured deals. To get into that guy's head about how he structures deals and how forward and future thinking he is. Like his purchase of Wall Street Journal to remove all of the journalists from the CNN contract and then only have that content for his Fox and Sky Network I mean, he spent billions of dollars and everyone's like, he spent way too much. He spent way too much. But he knew content was king and having all the best journalists in the world to move them from just writing for one newspaper to have them write for Mm. a worldwide network gave him content for his worldwide network. And that's why he valued it that much. So how he thinks, I'd rather meet him than, than be him. Let's put it that way. Okay, there you go. Savviness, strategic thinking, decision making. Right. Who have been your three biggest trusted advisors in your life? Uh, my dad, uh, my CFO who just passed, uh, Tony Savidio, phenomenal man, uh, always a great advisor, and one of my old accountants, John Ellingworth. So usually advisors for me have been um, uh, on the financial side of things because they know everything. So when you ask them questions, they have the answers usually. And you like that? Yeah, I do. Also, my coach, my coach, Doc Sid. Uh, I went to see Doc Sid after Route 91 Festival because he's a PTSD specialist, he's an ex-military guy, and I've stayed with him ever since. He makes sure that my head stays uh, on straight. Makes me read books I don't want to read um, about personal growth. The latest one, he, he, literally the book was called Don't Be a Dick. <laughs> he's like, yes, you need to read this book. I said, why? I don't have any of those tendencies. He said, there you go. That's why you need to read this book. <laughs> Brings you back down to life. Oh, he definitely, being Australian brings you back down to earth, that's for sure. As soon as you hit Australian soil, you know very quickly that it doesn't matter if you're successful or not. You're still, it's your turn to go up and get a beer, dude. Yeah. You know? There's something There's something about that, though, going and get a beer. It just it gives a relaxed edge to things. You know, there's a way Australian, there's a great way that Australian men are mates. The word mate is something that, you know, it doesn't translate to the United States. It doesn't translate to buddy. It's like, it's almost like the word brother in the United States sort of thing. And having mates like that is, is definitely a way to, you know, they're the sort of people you can call at any point in time. It doesn't matter day or night and they'll still pick up the phone and have a chat with you. I'm going to reverse one of your questions now. Uh-huh. So if the people listening to this podcast right now, if they knew they were going to succeed, mm-hmm. what do you think they might do? Yeah, so I think it was a few months ago, you and I were chatting, James, and, and we reversed that old, if you knew, if you, knew you, would, if you, knew you wouldn't fail, what yeah. would you try? Because yeah. that annoys the heck out of me. It's a double negative, and unfortunately, the English language is built through double negatives. No worries, no problems, all that stuff. Not bad. And we had to switch it to, if you knew you would succeed, what would you go out and try? If you knew that you would be a success at this thing, what would you go out and try? And I think that's where actually having them sit down and define their dreams, define their goals would be the starting point to that because the only way to know what you're going to go out and try and succeed is, is to do that. So, um, and then build and attach the discipline to it. We'll get a coach, yeah. Get a coach so you have the disciplinarian in your life. Uh, How many coaches have you got? Three. Financial, life, and business. What was your favorite part of this conversation? 
not the part where you ask me who do I want to be. Um, what was my favorite part of this conversation? I think where we got to talk about um, the fallacy of discipline, you know, the fact that discipline comes from outside sources more than it does from internal sources. If you want high-level discipline, that is. My favorite part was clarity. You are so clear in the way you communicate. Like, for example, management, two principles. Leadership, it's two principles. Mm. Discipline is this. My job is to simplify. Yeah. There you have it. Thank you very much, Brad Sugars. Thank you, James.